we're uh, starting out this morning in uh, what I consider I might the best book I've ever had the chance to study. I say that every single time I start a study, isn't it? I don't know. I, I don't, some things you just don't stop and you don't change. But uh, we're looking at Zechariah. This is the first day of Zechariah. Last week, uh, I had the privilege of doing the introduction, uh, giving some facts, ideas, dates, uh, people, things that you're going to see, questions that are in the book, those kinds of things. I would, and I, f- folks, I don't generally say, go listen to my preaching. I mean, really. I don't think you ever hear me do that, maybe in a counseling session once in a while, but I'd like you to go listen to that if you are if you missed last week and you need that introduction. It just gives you a good foundation. Whenever you study a book of God, you need to know why it's there, who it's written to, why was it written. If you don't know those things, you're just reading it. Okay, so we want you to get some substance there and and get down to a different level. Um, So we want to make sure. uh, So I would just say, listen to that introduction. It'll give you a, a greater understanding of the book Um, that we are about to study. Uh, Somebody was asking me about studying this book this morning, and I I said, I'm excited about it. I'm ready to go for the next message. So, Carl, I'm sorry, but I have to... No, I'm only kidding. Uh, I won't even be here next week. I can't uh, take over the pulpit if I'm not here. But I have some opportunities for other ministry. So, this book that we are about to enter into is rich. It has incredible wonders. There is a wealth of understanding of who God is. And folks, if we don't understand God's word, it will be missed. And so you need to be here each and every time. If not, at least listen to it. We are New Testament believers, but we know so little about the Old Testament And so it's good to get some of this so that we can see the richness of which our God works. He has not changed. From the beginning, he's been who he is, and in the end, he'll still be who he is. He hasn't changed. And so I'm going to just mention just a few things that were from the introduction that I didn't get to say because we ran out of time. I don't know how they do that. I think they speed up the clocks when we're in here, but we didn't have enough time for it. So these are just a few other remarks that I I want to bring to your heart, one of which I did make, and this is the first one. But I want you to understand this. God speaks through his word. And there's a reason that God speaks. And each and every time God speaks, there's a reason for it. And there's a reason for each and every book of the Bible. In some cases, there's a near reason for us. You know, it's about now, okay? And then there's a future reason for it. And that's what we have here in Zechariah. There's a now for the people that are in Jerusalem that are about to uh, embark upon building the temple again. And then there's also a far reason for it as well. And so I want you to keep that in your mind. This morning as I was explaining about the next passage and looking at all of the the oracles and seeing all of the visions, I said, we can sometimes get stuck in those visions and start to see things that aren't really there. I know none of you have ever had a vision like that, but that could happen. And so I want us to be careful about that. We need to know what is God saying and why does God say it? 
God speaks to human beings. And then he expects obedience. But most of the time, he gets disobedience. He speaks because he wants obedience from us. Do what I say. That's what he wants. When you disobey, there are consequences. And when you obey, there are rewards and there are blessings. This week, I was reading in my daily reading of trying to get through the Bible in a year, Joshua. And Joshua is commanded to to take the nation and go into the promised land and, and to take it. But in this specific battle, they're told not to take the things under the ban. You know exactly where I am right now with Achan. Achan went and took those things, put them under a cloak at his tent, and, and God didn't give them the battle. They were not able to win the battle. There was a consequence. That happens each and every time. It says in Joshua 1, uh, 6, 1, it says, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully. That's what happens. They acted unfaithfully, and God then brought a retribution against them. He didn't let them win the battle, a battle that they should easily have won. As a matter of fact, God said, don't take as many soldiers as you have, just take a few. He knew exactly what was going to happen. They had disobeyed God. God wants to have his temple, back in Zechariah here, he wants to have his temple rebuilt into, in Jerusalem. He wants a dwelling place where he can now meet with his people because he wants them to worship him and worship him only and worship them in the proper place, which is the temple. Their God would meet with his people. He tells them to build a wall. Now, he's talking about a wall of protection. A wall because there are people in the area that were, you can call them nefarious uh, hoodlums, okay? They were wanting to do evil. They were wanting to steal, rape, and pillage. But he says, protect those people while you build my temple. So we come to the reason for the prophets. It's really not complicated, folks. They are to speak for God. God says to them, and then they are to say to the people. That's, that's basically what it is. They are to call, I guess what they call them to, repentance. I think of John one twenty nine, and, and John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says, we should be repenting of our sins. Here is the Savior of the world. That's what he came for. They are, were to demand repentance, Repentance of the unfaithful ways of this faithless people. The prophets were a group of men who knew that they were called by God. They knew it. God indicated it to them, and they were to speak forth the truth of repentance. The prophets are sent by God to his people. The prophet is commissioned by God, and they are to bring the words that he says. And the words are blessing and cursing. It depends upon the situation, obviously. Same as with Zechariah. The struggle will be with how and when the prophecies in this book are fulfilled. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about in some of the visions that we will be looking at. 
The question is, do they have a double fulfillment to the people? Zechariah's day and our day. And I, I can tell you, yes, without a problem. There is a future people and it's a future reason for these prophecies. Zechariah's prophecies speak meaningfully to the post-exilic days, those days of the rebuilding of the temple. But they are not understood and they are not lived completely at that time. He speaks directly to the spiritual needs of that community. But, he did not un- but they did not understand the mature fruition of all that God was decreeing to his people. They didn't quite understand all of it. Years ago, I brought up, and I don't use a lot of props, but the only time I ever did it, and brought up a board, and, and I showed you the uh, idea here. There's a mountain there, and behind the mountain is the future, and you're looking at the first mountain, but you don't see the second mountain. I was going out to the Bible study on Friday night. And I'm looking at the mountains out there. I'm looking for snow. You know, I mean, I want to say, hey, is there any snow out there? Guess what? It wasn't until I passed the corner of those mountains where I was able to see the higher mountains and they had snow on it. That's exactly what Zechariah is doing. He gives them a prophecy that can see a little bit, but not quite all of it. They have to change their perspective. That's what we're going to see here. Zechariah is, is calling these people to holiness. He's calling them to faithfulness. As long as the nation lived obediently, they would be secure. Here we are at the beginning. Open up their Bibles to Zechariah chapter 1, 1 through 6. Here, Zechariah is going to call them to repentance, to return. That is the, the word that I put in a weekly message. Return. Return. It wasn't just to come back to Anchored, by the way. It was to return. Because there's something greater than anchored. There's a relationship with the living God. Return. This is a call to repentance for a right relationship with God. Let's read it together. Um, You listening, me speaking. (laughs) Chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, return now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And what prophets? And and the prophets, do they live forever? Verse 6, but did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to do, to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. We have an introductory verse here, verse 1. It's just sort of setting the, the picture, the lay of the land and all of that. It's an introduction by its nature. That's what it's trying to do here. It tells us very clearly here in the beginning of Zechariah that 
it takes place in the eighth month of the second year of Darius. I got to tell you, that's exact. That means it was in October of 520 BC. There's no equivocating. It's exact. October 520 BC. Was anybody? No, never mind. (laughs) Additionally, additionally, it tells us that Zechariah is a prophet. He is the son of Berechiah, the son of the family of Edo. Lastly, in this introductory verse, it tells us that this is a message. This is an oracle. And this oracle is from Yahweh, the Lord. You see all the capitals there? That's Yahweh. The word of the Lord, Yahweh, came. Not Zachariah's word. Not somebody else's word. Not a suggestion. But it is the word of the Lord. This phrase, the word of the Lord, appears six times in this book, telling us that Zechariah is not making this up. This is what it is. This is the word of the Lord. This is not something else. He's not getting it from CNN, and he's not getting it from Fox News, and he's not getting it from anywhere else. This is what God says. Thus, you better proclaim it. Now, in verses 2 through 6, we're going to see three aspects Three aspects to the solution of their problem. Their problem of their faithlessness, their problem of their uh, uh, separation from God to to a certain degree. And we need to understand that Zechariah is wanting their relationship with God to change, to be enhanced, to become faithful. And so he's going to give them these three aspects to the solution. Number one, and I'm going to give them all to you right now, so if you're taking notes, problem of anger. We see that in verse two. There's a problem of the anger that's here. Verse two, uh, I'm sorry, point two there, the second aspect is the proposal of restoration. We see that in three through five. We see that there's a proposal that's made by God to the people. You want to come back to me? This is how you do it. And number, or aspect number three is the purpose of prophecy. You see that in verse six. So let's look at verse two. The Lord, that is Yahweh, was very angry with your fathers. Now, some of you may be sitting out there and saying, God's angry? Yeah, better believe it. He's good and angry. You are bad and angry, but he's good and angry. Why is God so angry? God is is unmistakable. He doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't overlook anything, but he's unmistakable to these people that he's telling them that he has been angry with their fathers over and over and over. It's real anger, folks. Can I say this? And I will. It is justified anger. It's justified anger because they have been abusing their relationship with the Almighty God. Abusing it. The people of of Israel kept abusing that relationship over and over and over. Why? Because they continually, continually were looking for the false gods of the people that were around them. They kept running after those false deities and wanting to do the things of those false deities. I I remember being in India and and going to some of the temples there and I'm I'm going, what? They're worshiping a peacock. They're worshiping this. They're worshiping that. You know, you see some of the temples, they got all of these deities on the outside. That's what the Jewish people were doing. 
worshiping false deities. The Hebrew language gives a better picture even. It shows an intensity of this anger. Folks, his anger has been festering for many, many centuries. 14 centuries. 14 centuries. This is a boiling that's going on within God himself, a seething anger at sin. By the way, and I'm going to repeat this, there is only a problem of anger on our part, never on God's part. God's anger is always righteous anger. The situation here just points to the corruption of the people. They are completely and thoroughly corrupt. They need to repent. Frankly, folks, does our nation not need to repent? Uh, It's just mind-boggling what's going on. It needs to repent. Disobedience brings consequences. They are in this situation because the nation continued to disobey God. God, therefore, displays his anger. He, He removes his protection from them, from the nation. And they're carted off to Babylon. They're they're taken away to Babylon. God's anger is an emotion. God has that emotion in himself. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, he gave it to us before the fall, that we would have anger. You say, wait a minute, but that's sin. No, no. Anger is an emotion that gives you energy to solve the problem. How do I know that? Ephesians 4.25 says this, be angry, yet do not sin. Some people say, well, that's just an indicative. It's not an imperative. No, I believe it's an imperative because everything else in that section is an imperative. You be angry, but now that anger is the energy that God gives you to solve the problem rather than continue in the problem. Because it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. There's a way to solve it. It's by coming before God, confessing your sin and repenting, and then doing it his way, not your way. So this is an emotion given to us. But God has it righteously because it's against sin. And so we as Christians always have to be careful about even if we think we have righteous anger against abortion or something else, some other injustice, that we don't cross the line into sin. This anger of God erupts because of his holiness. And when holiness is ignored, he will display his anger. He will display his distaste. Now, I want you to take note here, folks. God's reaction of anger is legitimate. It's a legitimate reaction to this disobedience. The anger will be set on fire at the sin of his people, and that's what happens here. Beloved, there, there is no hiding. There is no making excuses. God is full on angry here at the Jewish nation. 1,400 years of warning. Stop, don't do that. This is what's going to happen. Stop, don't do that. This is what's going to happen. And you think you've got a problem when you have to tell your child twice to do something. 
1,400 years. You know, at 18, you can say goodbye to them. <laughs> 1,400 years, he didn't say goodbye to them. He kept working with them and kept working with them, rebuking and, and working with them and working with them, but they kept going in their way what they wanted to do. And folks, I'm going to just make a little note here. If you're in the midst of some kind of rebellion here against God and his word, give it up. He wins in the end. So give it up now. Give it up now. There's no hiding from him. Their apostasies, that's the Jewish nation's apostasies, were numerous. They were often. They were continuous. There are only brief pauses but even those brief pauses of, of disobedience were juvenile at best. The warnings were presented to the nation over and over again. And I, I want to show you some of those warnings, just so you don't take me at my word, but you take it at God's word. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, this, this is so, I mean, folks, and this is just one place. I mean, it's all over the Old Testament. But Deuteronomy chapter 4, look at verse 25. When you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, your God is so as to provoke him to anger. In other words, you're doing that to provoke him to anger. And that's what he sees it as. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but you will be utterly destroyed. Um, would you get that? If I told you that if you keep going in your sin, you will be utterly destroyed and and you know what, folks? You don't even know whether you're going to be whether you're saved or not. Would you start to do something about it? I mean, I mean, Jesus said, "Cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, and cut off your foot if you're in sin." I think He's pretty serious about it. We should be serious about it. But that's what He's telling the nation here: do something about it, or you will be destroyed. The Lord, verse twenty-seven will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. Sounds like familiar, huh? What's going to happen here going to Babylon? There you will serve God's little g, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. I, I love the passage where it says, they take a piece of wood, they cut it out, make it into a god, and then they burn a fire where they eat, they, they eat food. I, are you kidding me? That, that you don't even understand that that's nothing? It's scary, folks. Let's continue, verse 29. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. See the grace, the mercy that God has built into his commandment here? When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you, in the latter days you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers which he swore to them. There's even hope built into the commandment. 
Hope that if you act righteously, that if you act properly, that he'll bring you back in to the covenant. It's scary. They didn't listen then. They didn't listen even in Zechariah's day. And they don't listen today. But you know what? We need to take another look at another passage. 1 Kings chapter 8. Because you can see as history goes on. See after Samuel, 1 Kings 8. And we'll look at verse, 1 Kings 8, we'll look at verse 46. This is the dedication of the temple. They finally got it done. Solomon has built a beautiful temple. And, and folks, I, I can't even imagine what the magnificence of this temple must have been. It, it, it must have been absolutely glorious. God was going to enter it. He was going to meet his people there. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, it says this, When they sin against you, for there is no man who does not sin. I mean, it's obvious, right? And you are angry with them and deliver them to an enemy so that they take them away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. If they take thought in the land where they have been taken captive and repent. See that very special word there. Folks, sometimes Christians are taken off into the land. You know, the land of nothing where you are in, captured by some sin. It's got your heart. It's got your life. And you can't get away from it. You know, you, you get up in the morning and you're thinking about it. You go to bed at night and you're thinking about it. And it keeps drawing you in that direction. He knows. God knows. And he says, come to me. Come to me. Repent. If they took thought of in the land where they are taken captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those you have taken them captive, saying, we have sinned and have committed iniquity, we have acted wickedly. I, this is a great picture of repentance here, folks. Taking ownership of it first. I love when people come in my office for counseling and I've got a husband and wife and, and one of them says, I am the problem. Oh, wow, that's easy then. I can let the other one go, right? No. But you see, everybody who comes in the office should be saying, I am the problem. It's not them. It's me. It's me. Because no one is without sin. We just read that. There's always another side. Verse 48. If they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, you have taken them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you have given to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the house which I have built ain't for your name. Get on your knees. Cry out to God. Change me. I, I need to be changed. I keep doing those same things. Those thoughts keep coming, flooding my mind. I want to cut them out. In Zechariah, let's go back to Zechariah. God's anger is once again turned away. 
Why? Because you have some folks that are repenting. You have some folks who are sincere and want to come back. Not only that, but he said through Jeremiah that he's only going to keep them 70 years out of the promised land, that he would bring them back. We need to see that God, even in the midst of all of this, I hope you understood that from Deuteronomy and from 1 Kings, our God wants us to come back all the time. He's always calling us to come back. Look at 113. Uh, we're not there yet, but um, Yahweh answered the angel who was speaking with me with gracious words and comforting words. God wants you to hear those gracious words and those comforting words, folks. I, I know the cruelty of sin. I, I know the, the way it can imprison you. I teach about it. I preach about it. I lived it for 31 years as an unbeliever. I also know the way out through Jesus Christ. Make sure you're always running to him. Folks, again, I need to mention it. God is justified in his anger. God hates sin. You know, he hated so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross to solve that problem. That's how much he hates sin. So he's well justified in demanding your holiness. First Peter, when we were going through it, yeah, for those folks in that old group, um, said, you be holy for I am holy. First Peter 1.16. God brought calamity on the Jewish nation, on the fathers of Israel, and they would remain in Babylon till their hearts were changed. By the way, God has never changed. He's still the same. Now, the second aspect that we want to look at starts in verse 3 and goes through verse 5. And I'm going to read that whole section so we get it together. But uh, the second aspect is the proposal of return. And it says there, Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and your evil deeds, but they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? We look at verse 3 there. This second aspect, we can see that there's responsibility upon the sinner. Okay, listen to this, please. This is really important. There is a responsibility upon the sinner to, by grace, listen to that, make his return. You see, you can only come back to God by grace. So you ought, you need, you better be begging for it. Give me grace. Give me the grace to return to you because I've got this sin, this, this besetting sin or whatever other kind of thing, way you want to describe it, that I need to get rid of. I need to run to you. I need to run to the cross. Repent. Return. That's the word that is used in this text. Return. The word return here is used multiple times 
in this section that's used throughout the Old Testament, showing the emphasis that God places on action. Folks, can I put it this way? You can pray about it. That's good to do. Pray about it. But also do something about it. Do something about it. Praying about a certain thing is is all right, but you know the lady even who wanted some food knocked on the door, okay? So go do something about it. Just don't sit back and, oh, you know, I prayed about it today and I prayed about it. Do you know that's the most, okay, given answer on our personal data inventory that we ask people, what have you done about it? I've prayed about it. Well, that's good. That's good. Maybe that's what brought them there. But now do something about it. You have to do it. I'm a counselor. I can't do anything about it. You don't get better because of me. You get better because of God's word and because you went to it. Do something about it. Repent. So the word is used multiple times here. It shows the emphasis that it's on the action. Return is an Old Testament substitute for repentance. Going in one direction and then turning around and going in the other direction. The use of the imperative here actually shows us that there's a demand. There's an urgency on the hearer to actually not only hear, but to be a doer of the word as well. You just don't hear. You have to be a doer of the word as well. Verse 4, do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. If you don't listen, folks, you know, you've been at Grace Church five, ten years, five, one, one month, doesn't matter. If you do not listen to the Lord, and I don't mean the preacher, I mean the Lord, give heed to him, you're in rebellion. You may even be here every single Sunday, but you're still in rebellion. You see, the covenant people of Israel violated that covenant over and over and over again. And maybe you are violating it over and over and over again by continuing to return to your sin instead of returning to God. We can't treat God that way. We can't look at God that way. Ah, you know, I'll check in, you know, when I get to Bill's age, you know, I'll check in and, and maybe we'll make it a little bit closer. You know, that guy. no, it doesn't work that way. Uh, I've done a funeral for a 14-second-year-old baby. I, I've done it for a teenager. I mean, it's, it's hard to do those kind of funerals. In some cases, when they're old enough, you don't even, you know they're not saved. <clears throat> That's scary. That's scary, especially if they've been at Grace Church. Zechariah calls them to return. Return from what? From your evil ways and your evil deeds. Now, what are evil ways? It means a direction, a direction of the mind. It means a pathway or, <clears throat> or a tendency of character, of thinking. That's what it means. It's what, you, what you're living in your heart. You see, folks, what you... Imagine in your heart what you keep contemplating on. That's what it means here. So if you're not contemplating on the things of God, then your mind is somewhere else. What is it on? Evil deeds shows the actual practice of the tendency of the heart. It means actually doing those things. 
<clears throat> it means taking the evil ways or the things that are on your mind and making it a practice, or as I would say, habit, a habit. Let's make it very simple. Husband and wife, you know, they're getting married, you know, they go, they're going to go walk down the aisle, everybody's happy, okay? Uh, you know, they start to get into arguments once in a while. You know what? They begin to build a habit of how they respond to one another. There's a habit that's built up over many, many years. That's what we're talking about here. Now, the bottom line, do not pronounce your return, that is to God, and bring no reality to your return. like the fellow I counseled, I can't tell you how many times I counseled him over and over and over again. He had a problem with pornography, okay? We'll be, be, we'll be open here. He had a problem with pornography. He kept going back to it, kept going back to it, kept going back to it. And I gave him everything I could think of under the sun, you know, that you could, you know, do this, do this. Call me when you're about to get into it, okay? Do that. Text me, you know? We got all of these easy ways. To... He walked into my office one day, he put his Bible down on my desk, and he said, Pastor, if I don't stop looking at this garbage, then I'm not a Christian. I went, okay, you want me to hold you to that? He said, yeah. I think it's 10, 15 years later. Nope, not back in pornography. Not back in pornography. That's making it a reality, the return a reality. Be not just hearers but doers of the word. You see, sincerity and genuineness are imperative, folks. Sincerity and genuineness are imperative. Now, let me just show you some Old Testament prophets that talked about those kinds of things and turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55 <clears throat> Verses 6 and 7, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. So if you're thinking you're going to wait until you get to be Bill Shannon's age, um, maybe you're waiting much too long. I can tell you that. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God. I, each time he calls you to come back, you see that word compassion or faithfulness. Or things like that. He's calling. He wants you to come back. Look at Jeremiah. Next book. Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. I love this one. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 12. It says, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say. Now, before I get there, I just need to drop a, a note. Jeremiah preached for a long, long time. You know how many converts he had? Zero. Zero. Go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity. Acknowledge your iniquity. 
that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree and you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. Come back. You've not obeyed. Come back. You're my children. Come back. I will not be angry forever. No, he's not going to be angry forever. Ezekiel chapter 18. Pastor John looked at this more recently, and, I, and you can look at it as well or listen to it. <clears throat> Pastor John had to say, but I just want to pick out two verse, verses, uh, 18, verse 30 and 31. It says, therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct. Folks, each of you is going to be judged according to your conduct. You say, oh, but by grace I'm saved. Yeah, by grace you're saved, not by your deeds. I understand that. Uh, But but 2 Corinthians tells us that uh, you'll be judged for your good deeds and your bad deeds. What are you going to offer to the Lord if you are saved to the Lord? Ezekiel 18, I, I got off track there. Something came in my mind, but Ezekiel says this, repent. And turn away from all your transgressions, so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you perish because of your stubbornness? Because you think you know better than God. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Folks, I can ask this question. I know the answer. Do you think Israel listened? Prophet after prophet, and the ears were closed. Somebody brought me back a gift from Africa of these little statues, you know, the, the, the monkeys with the, holding the ears. And so I asked my counselors now, which one are you? Uh, because that's what they are. They've either got the ears closed or the mouth, or they don't want to... We should not look down upon the Old Testament Israel. Mm -mm. We can look pretty close to home. Modern man does not know better. We may be modern, but what we're still worshipers of false deities, false things that we think are going to bring us comfort and pleasure and significance or whatever. We're still those kinds of people. You know, I got one last, I think I have time, Joel chapter 2. One last... Hosea, Joel, Amos. Just for those folks who need to have help, Hosea, Joel, Amos. <clears throat> I love when I served in Iwana as a brand new believer and I got to learn the books of the Bible and in order and, and actually learned how to pronounce some of them. That it's not Job, it's Job, you know? And, <laughs> and that Isaiah uh, is not what I thought it was or... Philemon was Philemon. But when I went to South Africa, I was told differently, so it is pronounced different ways. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Yet even now, declares the Lord. (laughs) Yet even now. Folks, can I say, yet even now, today, 2019? Yet even now, today, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping, and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments 
Because that's an outward display of penance that doesn't mean anything. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Oh, we, we need to return, all of us. It, it's not just that person who has the habit of sin, because we all sin. These people were stubborn, though. I mentioned that word already. And when I do counseling and I hear somebody being stubborn, I ask them, are you Irish? <laughs> I do that for a purpose. I mean, I have my Filipino friend or my, my uh, Spanish friend or whatever. I, I, are you Irish? And they go, what are you talking about? I said, I am the only one who has an excuse for that. I'm Irish. No, it's not just the Irish. It's not just the Jew. It's not just the Filipino or the Spanish. Or It's not any one nation. We are all stubborn. We are all stubborn. Sometimes stubborn is good, but in most cases it's not. Friends, stubbornness is the heart of every ethnicity. Every ethnicity. The proposal of the return is unambiguous. Come to God, all you who are weary with sin, and God is gracious and forgiving. You will come with your needs, but he is exceedingly rich in mercy. You will come with the ugliness of sinful hearts and lives. And do not fear, because he offers joy, great joy, if you return. Turn, return, is not just a call to change in behavior, but it's an invitation to a fruitful relationship with the Almighty God. Can you imagine walking into his presence? That's what you do when you return. In other words, you're going your way. Now you are satisfying your own needs when you go your way. Now you change and you go his way, the way of the living God. Now, the last aspect is the purpose of the prophecy. You know, I skipped verse 5, but uh, just to give you your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? I think it's just sort of a hypothetical question. What do they mean? They're not even around anymore. And uh, I would love to go into it a little bit more, but I want to get to verse 6, which is very powerful. But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. From the inception of the fall until now, God calls man to repentance. Next time we get together that I'm able to preach, I want to look more closely at the idea of what repentance really looks like. When you ask someone for forgiveness, I want you to understand, and maybe I'll have a little bit of time here at the end, but it's not saying, I'm sorry. God, just, just so you know, it's, I'm sorry. And then you go about doing your whatever. We'll look at it a little bit closer the next time. You see, you're turning from embracing your sin to embracing Christ. So do it the right way. There should be a genuine hatred of that sin, a complete turning to the things of God and how he wants you to do it. 
Zechariah's audience has an opportunity to learn from their fathers. As a kid, I used to say, I don't want to do the things my father does. As soon as I became an adult, I did the exact same things my father did. It wasn't until I became a Christian that I knew how to put away those things that my father did. The future for the Jewish nation and all those who call themselves believers is one of submission. Submission under the word of God. We are, folks, to display a willingness to be humble in the light of this blessed covenant that we have with our God. That he would call us out of the world, out of the darkness into his light. It's a covenant that we have with him now. We are to act like his children. Let me bring you to one prayer in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, it's a prayer by Daniel, and, and it is oh so wonderful. But you know where Daniel is praying this prayer from? <laughs> Captivity. It, it almost seems like it's too late, Daniel. No, it's not. Did you hear that? It's not too late. It's never too late. But in Daniel chapter 9, in the first year of Darius and the son of Azuerus of Midian descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. This is chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the Lord, uh, word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I don't recommend sackcloth and ashes today, folks, so you don't have to do that. I prayed to the Lord with uh, the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord." But to us open shame, as it is this day. To the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Folks, you can read this all the way down to verse 19. It is a wonderful prayer of repentance on behalf of the people. I wanted to talk a little bit about this repentance so that you had something to take away. and uh, you, you could just write down these things. It's going to be short here, folks. Consequences are terrible. Consequences are terrible. Repentance is a blessing. We all have that opportunity to repent. 
to live for him. But let me give you some ideas for a meaningful repentance if it's sin against someone you know or if it's between you and God. Number one, acknowledge in your mind, in your heart, number one, acknowledge God's warnings. Acknowledge them. Humbly admit that what you did was wrong. Can you imagine that? Responsibility. I I mean, I hear our nation making excuse after excuse for the problems that they have. Uh, That's because I've got this this thing here that uh, is connected to this. My parents made me do it. You know, it's because they weren't nice to me when I was growing up. Or, you know what, I didn't have the right education, or I didn't have this, or I didn't have that. Give me a break. Give me a break. It's coming with a spirit of humility. If a person has any arrogance, any defensiveness, they really aren't in a true state of repentance. Number two, acknowledge your sin to the fullest degree. No excuses. No blame shifting. Realizing that this sin put Jesus Christ on the cross. Realizing that this sin was against a holy God. Acknowledge all sin deserves death. The wages of sin is death. And that you need to be held accountable for your sin. You need to explain your sin. Not defend your sin. Explain it. Don't say, well, I did that because my wife didn't wake me up early in the morning. That's why I missed work. Huh? I mean, I mean, I hear some things. You got to be kidding me. And the dog eats your homework too when you're in school. Your sin has offended a holy God. And it's hurt those that are around you, your family. Confess your sin completely. Number three, accept the full consequences willingly and without complaint. A gentleman came up to me years ago and said, Pastor, I, I've got a, a, a warrant for me out in New Jersey. I, I'd love to go back to New Jersey sometime. What should I do about that warrant? I mean, if I go back there, I, I could be in a lot of big trouble. I mean, okay, good. You know what you need to do? Go back to New Jersey. Go before a judge. Take care of it. He went back there and stood before the judge, and the judge said, in my 25, 30 years of being on the, uh, on, uh, being a judge, I've never seen this before. Not guilty. You can go. That's astounding. 30 years as a judge, and you never had anybody come back because they had a warrant out for them. We all have a warrant out. Folks, we violated against God over and over and over and over and over again. Accept the consequences and do it without complaint. Do it without complaint. Number four, focus on the character of God. I think you saw that over and over again as the passages we chose to read there uh, from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy and, and First Kings and Joel and all of those kinds of things. You saw the character of God. And, and immediately when I was writing this, I said, oh, 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Five times 
the Apostle Paul uses the superlative there. Five times, our God, he's all good, all the time. Number five, beg God for forgiveness. Beg God for forgiveness. You need to ask for forgiveness from God and then those you uh, have wronged. And I, I repeated that, but I wanted to make sure that you understand that. It is so vital that you ask God for forgiveness because that's the one you ultimately have sinned against and then those you have wronged. Folks, this is just the beginning of Zechariah. I'm excited about getting into it. Please, I'm going to ask for you to pray for me because as I'm looking at these uh, visions, I've never had one. I mean, I, I have dreams, but those dreams are my unconscious, uncontrolled time. This is not a dream, folks. This is a vision given by God to Zechariah. I want to make sure that I understand it correctly and teach you correctly because I don't want to be called a heretic. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today for these folks. Thank you for their attentiveness. Lord, I, I even ask that they would read Daniel 9, 1 through 19, that they would see how Daniel prayed for the nation. Frankly, folks, that's how we need to pray for our nation, our nation which has uh, gone so far awry. Lord, we pray that... Uh, you would be with uh, even the teachers tomorrow as they go back to school in the situation that is in the L.A. Unified School District, that, uh, Lord, that uh, peace would be brought there, that your name would be exalted, and that uh, you would be glorified. And we pray this in the name of a great God and Savior in whose name I pray. Amen.